What's up, everybody? Welcome to Leaders of Lifestyle, a podcast all about real estate, sports, and entertainment. Take a deep dive with me into the world of high-end lifestyle and get exposed to the different leaders behind the scenes of it all. So let's get right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the world-famous Ben Moss. Thank you so much for being here, Ben. Michael, thanks for having me. Excited about being here with you. So we have a lot to talk about, but before we get into it, I am a Compass uh, agent. You are a Compass agent, but you have a special, special distinction that works so well with what we're going to be talking to today. Give everybody your title. Well, yeah. So I'm the national director of the sports and entertainment division at Compass. So I joined Compass in 2017, and I've got a lot of background in, in sports entertainment, real estate, and then focused a lot on, on luxury real estate as well. Yes. And you are uh, amazing at what you do. That's why you're the head of that division. Um, and, you know, I take a lot of uh, path from what you have paved and we have a lot to learn about you and so much to learn throughout the, the, this podcast today. So uh, let's get right into it. Talk a little bit about um, your beginning in the real estate field. I know like a lot of people in real estate doesn't always start off with, I want to be a real estate agent as a kid. So how did you get into the real estate world? Yeah, I mean, going back to the sports side, I, I kind of think of myself as a jock first and foremost. I wake up in the morning and I try to move the body and I think that's so important because it gives you energy and helps clear your mind and all these other things. But uh, I did not think I was going to be a realtor when I grew up. My, my dream was to be an NBA player and then I quickly found out, you know, um, I was very tall and they stuck me as a kid and they stuck me as center. So I didn't develop the ball handling skills and then everybody else caught up to me and grew past me. I'm six, almost 6'2", six so I'm not like, you know, uh, but definitely not center material or full okay. in college and NBA. But um, yeah, I, I graduated college and I was originally going to go into finance. Uh, I was working at Merrill Lynch in, in, in college and at a bank and went abroad, Argentina and Spain and worked at banks and in the summer, mostly had fun, but did some work too. And, um, and then I went to a real estate uh, seminar, one of these investing seminars, three day kind of thing where they, they teach you how to knock on doors and flip houses. So I went out and started knocking on doors and and uh, flipped the house, bought a 12 unit apartment building, fixed it up, sold it. So I got into real estate uh, right then. But professionally, I got into commercial office leasing. Uh, I was working at a real estate investment bank my last year in college, my first year out of college. Didn't want to sit behind a desk in a conference room putting together you know, pitch books that are this big. So um, I wanted to get more in the action, do deals. And so I got into office leasing, which was a great entrance, uh, you know, great entry point into real estate because I, I negotiated 100 deals a year. Uh, from the 100,000 square foot law firm to the 500 square foot cafeteria at the bottom of the building. And, uh, but quickly found that I was getting a little bit bored with that. And um, at the time I was in a relationship uh, with, who would become my first wife and she got her residential real estate license to, uh, when I was knocking on doors, investing in real estate, she could be, I was the, the bad cop, she could be the good cop, or <laughs> actually vice versa. I'm not sure what was the bad or the good, but we were, one was going to have a license and one wasn't going to have a license at right. the time. So she was the one designated to have the license and she started doing some residential. And then uh, I started helping her with some stuff and, and quickly found that a lot of the sports entertainment clients that we had were going pro. Uh, we went to University of Miami. Yep. And so they always kind of knew us as the real estate couple. And we'd go hang out with them on Thursday nights and go party in the Grove and Coconut Grove where we all hang out together. But then I, we'd also talk some shop and they knew me as the guy who'd come to school in my suit and take the Metrorail to go, you know, go downtown and work and, all, and knew I was doing some stuff in real estate and she was too. So make a long story short, uh, they started asking for advice. Hey, could you review this contract for me in Jacksonville? I'm going to build a house. Can you 
hooked me up with a realtor in Denver and I saw an opportunity very early on, which was to be a value. And, mm. uh, and I said, okay, yeah, I can, I'll figure that out for you. Let me, let me interview some realtors in Denver for you. And yeah, you're going to get ripped off on this contract here in, in Jacksonville. So what, right. it was literally one deal to two deals to three deals and referrals. And that's kind of how it all started. So, it, I mean, it really legitimately started in the purest form of being in around the people that you had the opportunity eventually around the people that you're going to end up working with, which are talent, either in the sports or entertainment world. And they looked at you as a position of authority and asked questions. So you did it from networking from day one, really. Yeah, it was, it was networking, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't intentional. I saw yeah. an opportunity. I think a lot of things that happen in life, you know, sometimes we're just so busy we're on the phone, we're doing five things at one time and we're not even aware of where the opportunities are. Right. Um, so I was aware of where the opportunities were and I kind of said, Hey, here's, here's a segment that needs to be served right. and I'm kind of right here. And so why not? So we started carving, carving out that niche, you know, back then. And then using that as a way to get in front of people that have maybe a sports court at their house or whatever that they think might sell to a real, uh, to, to an athlete. And then people started kind of hearing, Hey, you know, started calling me up saying, Hey, I think, I think my house would sell to an athlete. I hear you're the guy that works with athletes. So why don't you come list my house? And so that started happening a few years after, but, but rewinding all the way to the beginning, I think Michael, the, the most important point is just um, developing trust because these guys wouldn't have reached out to me if they didn't trust me. And if I wasn't kind of walking the walk, you know, but they knew I was out knocking on doors. They knew I was buying an apartment building. They knew I was doing things. And so they kind of said, okay, he, he's a guy that I can trust. He's, he's not just wanting to hang out with us. He's wanting, you know, he's in the trenches doing yeah. this and, and we trust him. How did you, did, I mean, it's fascinating. How did, how did you, in the very beginning, because um, now, I mean, you have done, you've been so successful that now people are going to reach out to you because they see what you've done in the press. They, they can see you through your marketing and everything and, and what you've become. In the beginning, when you said you were going after, let's say in the sports world, someone with a court, uh, basketball, tennis, what have you, and you thought it might trade well with somebody else looking for that exact product. How did you set out to almost target that person? Did you, did you, did you have a, a dossier somewhere? Did you start to promote somewhere to people? How did you do that? Well, I think, you know, it should be clear, you know, whenever you think like Jerry, Gar I'm a big uh, Grateful Dead fan, right? So Jerry's like, uh, when life looks like easy street, there's danger at your door. So if you start you know, you know, thinking you're, you know, what don't stink, then, then there's a problem. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I think we're always striving in this business, you know, yes, like great, had a great sale. That was good, but there's always the challenge. There's always the way to evolve. And I think that's, that's the, that's the thing I love most about this real estate business. So yeah, looking back, I've been doing this for 20 years. So it's, you know, it's been little by little building, building. Uh, yeah. Have I done some cold calling? Have I uh, sat in front of somebody's office, you know, in their lobby waiting for them to come in. Yeah. I've done all that stuff. Sure, sure. Do I like the cold call? No. But do I see that as the challenge kind of taken in the sports, the competitive nature of sports? Yeah. You know, a little bit. So, so I think, you know, I don't want people, anybody to think that any of that's easy. You know, you, you gotta, you know, there was a guy that I got as a client 10 years later. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's, oh. there's a lot of that stuff that, that's, that's happening. And now he, and he's a sports agent. Now he's referring me to some people. So, you know, it, it takes a long time. Yeah. business. So people just read some of that stuff, but, and a lot of it's frustrating because you can't even put it out there. You know, a lot of my clients are buying, you know, through, through protected, you know, land trusts and, and LLCs and things like that. So you, you know, I can't even talk about some of that stuff, but I think to answer your question, um, yeah, people did start approaching me because there was some press and there were, there were some things that, that got out there and the word would kind of get out. 
Um, so it's always that balance of, of trying to, you know, figure out the right way to do some self-promotion without interfering with the clients that I'm actually working with. Cause mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want them to ever think that I'm using them to yeah. as a means to an end for something sure. else. Sure. And you, you've, you've had a ton of success. Um, you're an authority in the field. Speak to how you went from the early days of, you know, people knowing what you're doing, networking, word of mouth, um, all the way up to being a super successful luxury broker and at the highest end in a South Florida area that is super competitive um, with the best of the best. How did you get yourself to stand above the rest and then lean that into the compass director position? Well, so uh, I guess just on the sports side, just, you know, one deal, two deals, like I said, now, you know, I, I kind of lost count at a certain point, but it's like over 550 deals. Now that includes rentals. Uh, that's in South Florida. That's referrals outside of South Florida. But at any point in time, I probably have two to three referrals coming in uh, like athletes or celebrities um, uh, every week. Sometimes it's more. It's, sometimes it's like five or six in a week. And I'm like, how did that just happen? And this is this is friends and families, professional well, it's, it's relationships, relationships. Uh, yeah, referrals from from existing clients, business managers, sports agents, financial advisors. Um, you know, that's a lot of my network is, is the, are the professionals around the athletes. And then obviously with some of the athletes as well. Um, and I and I've been doing education. So it's not just, um, you know, I do I do education for, for NFL teams. I'm finishing writing a book, uh, like a playbook for for athletes, because I've seen so much and it just starts driving me crazy at a certain point man, I got to do something more than just get in front of these guys for 45 minutes to an hour. I got to write a book. I got to get this out there and I'm going to give it to them. And, you know, so there's, there, there's a lot of stuff. I, I've always tried to keep evolving. And I think as, as if you, I think if, like anything, if you're genuine about what you're doing and, and you're enjoying what you're doing at a certain point, you will be successful because you're putting the right energy behind it. And then, you know, people start noticing and things just kind of, it seems like it's easy, but it's not, you know, it, it takes a lot of hard work and it takes, I think, Looking back for me, it's been more about just just you know being creative. Maybe I could I could be doing five times the business that I'm doing if I was better at A, B, C, and D. But you know I'm just trying to do the best I can with all the moving parts, and it's uh, it's a work in progress. But yeah, no. It, it, at the end of the day, it's it, you know I have a great career. I love it. It's uh it's very yeah. rewarding. You know financially, you know meeting people, um, getting to be creative every day. So when you were when you were doing the education for the pro teams and becoming the authority within those niche groups and everything like that were you doing or are you doing direct marketing to pro teams or were you a guest in, invited to just do education there yeah it's purely coming from the standpoint of doing education and uh i'm not paying a dime to be part of any of these pro teams it's really just doing it for the right reasons and then you know what happens after that happens after that you know as relationships get developed of course, when you're getting in front of, you know, it's a great marketing tool. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But, but originally, but it also stems from uh, really wanting to help these guys and putting together a really good presentation and being invited back. And then getting invited to, you know, by one guy at one team saying, hey, you know, you should talk to this guy, Ben, and getting invited to another team. I could be in front of a lot of NFL teams right now, but the truth is I don't have the time because uh, I'm in the grind of, you know, knocking out 150 plus transactions a year with my team here, real estate right. transactions. So, you know, where's the time to go, you know, to San Francisco for two days and, and do a presentation. Right. Um, that's, that's the constraint. So right. you know, right. that's what I'm trying to evolve more towards is, is getting even more into the creative non-transactional side of things. 
uh, as I evolve in my career, because I've been doing this for 20 years now. So yeah, at a certain point, I want to keep evolving that as well and, and have more of an impact within, sure. within sports. So, so when you go and you present with these teams or you present whoever, or somebody would say, hey, listen, just come and talk to us. You have such a finance and, and money background. You understand business. Do you talk to them more about that side or are you talking to these clients today? And, and I talk clients, I'm talking about either someone who's high-end property or sports and entertainment uh, type of person. Are you talking to them more about the money, dollars and cents of buying and strategy or are you talking about how, how it works or what, what's more than the topic that you get called in to talk about? Well, it's, it's evolved over the years. You know, my first presentation ever was 10 years ago to a pro team and it was talking to the rookies and explaining what is a lease, who pays the realtor, uh, you know, what are some, why, is, why does credit score matter? You know, it's just very basic level things because these guys are young kids that don't know, they didn't learn any of this stuff in college. They don't even know how to you know, balance their checkbook, for instance. Sure. You know? So it's like tiptoeing around some basic concepts. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's evolved into talking to veterans who want to invest in real estate. And it's evolved from just classrooms to, hey, let's get them out there and experience what it's like to be in, in a multifamily building that's 300 units, mid-renovation. Right. And getting to ask, you know, what's a cap rate? How do you calculate a cap rate? Why does a cap rate matter? How do you improve a unit, the best bang for your buck, so that you can jack up the rent, maintain operating expenses at a certain level, and how does that translate across 300 units at the same cap rate or a lower cap rate upon exit? And so there's, you know, it's evolved over the years and continues to evolve. And so a lot of the conversations that I have now with, with some of the older guys is, hey, don't, you know, so certainly with the rookies, but the older guys too, is like, don't go out and buy the big house. Okay, yeah, I'm the residential realtor that makes my money. Um, I monetize my relationship with you if you buy a big house for me. But the truth is there's a point, there's a time in, in, in life and in your cycle to buy the big house. And that's only after you have enough passive income coming in from investments, but real estate being a very good one, you know, multifamily real estate in particular is a pretty safe and stable asset and, and remains so even during the COVID area, era, as we've seen, whereas office and retail and hospitality, pretty risky, right? But multifamily, you know, especially certain types of multifamily continue to, to, to do really well overall for the long term. So yeah. Um, that's what I advocate guys to do. And, and, and I have had a lot of guys invest, when I say guys, athletes uh, invest in deals that I'm investing with as well, but I'm not syndicating. I'm not making money from it. It's really just, I have access to these, to this deal flow mm -hmm. and I, and I, I'm doing it myself because I don't have a contract. I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to make next year, but I know I have to pay three salary people and I have to pay this and that. So right. I, you know, came from a desire and they want, they also need to figure out when they transition from playing to non-playing for the rest of their lives at a young age, they got to figure out how do I have enough good money coming in? So I'm not trying to step on the toes of a financial advisor. It's got to be part of their plan and they have to review the numbers and review the deal with their financial advisor. But, but I am providing an access point to some of those guys. And who knows, maybe at one point I will do more on the investment side and, and kind of translate my, contacts and, and, and abilities into that space on more on the investment side. But right now I'm strictly focusing on resident, you know, residential rentals, purchases and sales across the country. Yeah. And uh, that's what I, I don't want these guys to, you know, do a, a bad investment. And then now I got an egg on my face. Right. I want right. to focus on the niche, which is what I've continued to build and, and, right. and focus on right now. So the sports and entertainment uh, national director for compass position came up. Um, is the position you, you now have. Um, so how did that happen? Well, so a good, good buddy of mine predating, um, 
compass, Kofi Narte. He uh, he not he was at the agency in LA, and I was at yeah. Sotheby's, and had my own company before that. And we said, oh, maybe one day we'll work together. So. Uh, Kofi had the foresight to uh, to launch the sports entertainment division at Compass. He was right. at Compass before I was in 2016. I think he joined. I joined in 17. Yep. And um, and so he you know kind of grew the division, led it, and then he left in March, and um, and asked me if I would take it over. And at first I was I was kind of like, no, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't really want to do that. You know, I have yeah. enough stuff yeah. on my plate. And uh, but yeah. then I said, you know, this is going to be this is going to force me to grow. This is going right. to force me to evolve my skill set. Really. I am probably the right person to do it because of how much experience and everything I have going on in the sports entertainment world. And I think I can, I think I can kind of pick up where, where he left off and, and try to, you know, keep, keep things moving. So, so we are, you know, we are, you know, doing some new things uh, within the division and, and trying to keep things going from where he started it. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's perfect. Thank you for explaining kind of the story and how it happened. Um, big fan of Kofi, obviously yeah. big fan of you. Um, so I, I think, I think being a, a niche specialist in, in that sports and entertainment luxury real estate world, I think people have a lot of misconceptions maybe uh, about a lot of things that, that maybe, and then give me, you know, tell me if I'm wrong here, but that maybe all of us, we do something completely different than anybody else when it comes to selling real estate, like it's done differently. I think that we treat a sports and entertainment client who's looking to sell or a luxury high-end property the same for all of our properties. We don't, we don't cut corners somewhere. We do the best for all of our clients, no matter what's the price point. Um, there's certain tactics we might use for a high-end property or a luxury property on the sales side, but am I wrong? It, there, there's certain things that we'll do, but across the board, the service that we provide for a property to sell it high-end or not, there's some basics that never change. Yeah, there's something that never changes. I think what people don't understand about, uh, you know, celebrity sports is the amount of extra work that it takes to, to work with these clients. So, you know, for instance, I've got a top NFL player, star player who uh, will remain nameless, but, you know, he's been renting a, a place in Miami for a couple of years now. He doesn't play down here. He plays somewhere else and he's rehabbing, but, um, but he wants to buy a condo. So I went to go preview the condo, take video, do all this stuff, send it to his financial advisor, um, send it to a whole bunch of people to review. A few days later, it comes back, yes, you know, we like the unit. So now uh, on Friday, I'm going to meet with his buddy who is in town and he's going to come take a look at the unit. So this guy will never even come see the unit. Right. He knows the building, he's in the building, but he won't right. come see the unit. So we're talking about two virtual showings with a guy who never will come. I have, um, I have a, the ex-wife of a major musician coming in in a couple of weeks and she's she's wanting to rent and her schedule's here one day there the next day there you know it's just like these are not necessarily uh, people that are used to dealing with professional you know deadlines and guidelines they don't they don't have the same mindset that you and I have or that you have you know with the same connection that you have with like a professional you know white collar you know business person that right. understands timeliness and scheduling and all these things, you know, so there's, there's a lot of more whimsical kind of things that come up and unrealistic expectations. You have to educate a lot more. So, uh, so it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot more work and a lot more rentals too, because a lot of these players, especially the, the athletes that I work with, or even musicians that I've worked with, you know, they're in town recording uh, for a month, but it's gotta be an amazing rental for that one month. And you got to go out and find it and you're not making much money. And there's a lot more ways, as you probably know, Michael, with, with short-term rentals, especially there's, it seems like there's a lot more 
uh, potential for disappointment, and a lot more paperwork, a lot more stress than even just doing a, a huge sale. Oh my gosh, yeah. Especially if you have a pro athlete who's going to be in a, a free agency situation, you have to make sure the contracts are negotiated, that they're getting out of leases without having to pay penalties. Right. Um, I think that is across the board, especially working with sports entertainment, high-end people, regardless. Um, sports entertainment, definitely. Um, the privacy issue, making sure that people you are working with across, whether it's a, 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 a Know, landlord or most likely a, a seller agent or a buyer agent, whatever, understanding that there's going to be a, a, a level of privacy exclusivity that's going to go on with this transaction professionalism that needs to take place, right? There's, there's privacy. And, and then at the same time, there's a concierge service to a lot of things that we're doing. We are asked to do certain things that someone around the corner might not. There's, there's the transportation issues of car pickup, especially me being so close to New York city, you know, sending a car out is like, this is what you do. You send a car out to go pick them up. You have make sure you have lunch available or you make sure you have a helicopter access or, or plane across, you know, if it's coming across. That's just things that are part of our, yeah. uh, are, are what we do. Um, so speak to, speak to some, maybe sometimes that you've had to deal with, with that, maybe a, a normal broker or somebody just doesn't understand that, that that's a level that we deal with. Well, yeah, I had a, a major athlete earlier this year, and, uh, you know, rented a sprinter van, the driver, you know, the whole thing They picked them up the tarmac and, um, three times, three times in a row, uh, they called me the day, like the night before and said, Oh, sorry, we can't come in tomorrow. I had an issue with the pilot. Sure. Okay. Same. So scheduled, you know, 10 showings for the next day, literally <laughs> three days in a row. I was, I was literally about to like, I'm trying to preserve my hair and I was about to pull it all out. Yeah. Like, yeah. You've got to be kidding. Like, you've yeah. No problem. Kidding. It's fine. It's cool. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. They just don't understand. Like I'm and it. And it makes me look really bad if I can't deliver the goods, which is yeah. having all these realtors and sellers shift everything twice, right. uh, to right. follow days. And it's just like, yeah. talk about stress. Like, it's just crazy. So that would never happen with, with a regular client. It would never happen, but, but I had to make it happen. I didn't have a choice. I had sports agents. I had the team, I, you know, like people are relying on me to make sure that this guy gets settled because, you know, it's an important player and, and he's got to get here and things have to like camp starts and, you know, it's all got to happen the way it's going to happen. He's got to have a place to live, you know? So, so it, it's uh, yeah, super high stress. And, and that's one example. And, I, and I've had, I've had to tell all the realtors on the other side, listen, no, you may not, this client's not signing this. Right. And don't ask, you know, and, and I try to you try to let people know ahead of time, you kind of know who you're dealing with before you go into the showing. If it's somebody that deals with the same kind of clients, they'll get it. But right. if it's not, you know, got to make sure that uh, that we, we set those expectations up front. Sure. Um, so speaking a little bit more about, you know, the going forward a little bit in here as to the expectations, you, you lay them out for the people that you're working across the aisle with, right? For your, for your clientele, you also kind of have to set some expectations too. Like we're kind of talking about when you are working on high end, there's a lot of people that want to vet other people. So there's a whole lot of making sure that people have to be in certain places, certain times for both sides to be credible uh, in something. If somebody no show is a lot, it's if somebody you know is fully qualified, ready to buy, has cash, ready to do something, it's a client in sports entertainment. And there's a seller and they have to no show a couple of times. So there's, it's, there's this breaking of the ice. It's like, yeah, I know that um, 
I have to be extremely respectful, but I also have to tell them the truth on some of this and lay this straight out there for them. How much and how often are you working directly with the entertainer or the athlete or the person? And how much are you working, say, with a, an assistant or something that you're kind of relaying messages? Um, I usually try to work with the source because, uh, well, meaning like the athlete, the person who's buying, because Whoever, yeah. I want to develop that relationship. But sometimes, you know, you, what you find is it takes a while for them to develop that trust with me. Right. And it's only through seeing a bunch of emails go out and, and just like this consistency where they finally say, okay, you know what, I'm going to deal with this guy directly. Or and sometimes it's a combination of that and just getting further along in the process where they actually get a spark and, and they want to take accountability and some, some, right. some control. Right. Um, some of the younger ones, especially the, the high draft picks, the ones that everybody's been catering to for since they were in middle school, you know, it's, those are the guys that I'm talking about. It's a little bit harder for them sometimes to understand. They also don't know what they don't know. Right. And so, you know, they, they just, they're totally intimidated by this, but they come off as, you know, kind of uh, cocky or whatever. Some of them are, it's a combination, but it's but the intimidation factor, the, they, they're making all this money. They don't know who to trust. It's a lot. And so I've seen it enough times where I don't take it personally. I just try to say, look, I'm here to deliver service. I'm here. Trust me, but let me earn your trust. Right. And um, so, but usually with the athletes, there's, there are going to be other layers of people and I'm used to that. And, and so, you know, you have to, you have to dot, uh, you know, dot the I's across the T's, make sure that, you know, there's no mistakes in anything. Right. You, know, you just have to be extra careful because, you know, if you're sloppy, that's when things, you know, that's when things get noticed and you're not going to get the next referral from right. that advisor. Right. Going through a sale, putting a property up, doing a pre-marketing analysis, then going up, marketing the property, networking with the property, sending out the right content to the right people. We've done that. We know how paperwork works. We know that process. Same thing on the buy side, vetting, going through the properties, making sure they're what your client wants. So they come out here and spend the right time, right amount of time on the properties that they want to see lease, putting them in the right, doing all the documentation. We know how to do all that stuff. It's interesting. Um, and, and it's, and unless you have been in it for a lot of people, I think they don't understand. There is a level of pressure that comes into the same things we've done. You've done 550 times, right? Over and over and over again. But when you work with that person who now has an organization behind them, depending on you to do a lot of these things and they live their life and they're focusing on what they're supposed to be focusing on, which is, their day-to-day -day operations of being successful in that sports or entertainment world or whatever, or that finance if they're a high-end person. And here's this pressure on you now for all these different things. I think there's a skill to being able to deal with that pressure for that situation in the same thing we've always done. But I think for a lot of people that would break them. <laughs> a lot of people that, and they're too scared of that moment and that pressure. And I think that's why also people don't try to become and go into that niche because if you're able to show that you're successful handling that high stress, high pressure situation with those clientele, that group of people become smaller and smaller that have been able to do that. And that's why you've been able to be expanding. So how do you deal with that when you're up against it and you know it and you're just like, oh man, you know, I can't really make a mistake here. I don't really, you know, how do you handle those moments? Because as realtors, especially at the high end, those are big commission checks. Those are big clientele. It's a big reputation. How do you handle it when it gets a little shaky? Yeah, well, I mean, I've learned early on, Michael, to have longevity in this business and to stay sane and not burn out. You can't run, you can't get too high, you can't get too low. You know, you yeah. just have to, you just got to roll with the punches and you can't try. I think a lot of suffering comes from resistance. So, mm. you know, where, where where is the resistance here? Am I going to resist something that I can't control? Okay, I, let me get upset. This sucks. Let me get upset and go into it and let me move on. You know, and I think there's a big, uh, 
over the years, I've developed, um, I don't know if spiritual practice is the right word, but, you know, really a lot of personal development work on myself. I get up early. I'm a routine guy, you know, meditation, affirmations, I move energy in the body. I do breath work, like all these things, right? Gratitude practice. Yep. And what I found is that those things really do help in the moment. Uh, it just helps slow everything down. You know, like right. Victor, I don't know if you ever read Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, but he talks yeah. about, you know, creating the, the, the space between the stimulus and the response and, and just noticing how, okay, this just happened. Somebody just dropped the F, you know, like whatever's happening um, and, and trying to understand like, where they're coming from, be empathetic. It's like all these things, it's like you're slowing it down in the matrix a little bit and like you're seeing things uh, happening more like when you're in the zone because you know what? I'm not going to get rattled by what's happening here. Right. 50 voice messages or 50 text messages and five voice messages that I have to respond to while this is happening. And the other client who's calling on the deal that I'm dealing with this fire before I can call him on that fire, you know, it's a lot. So, but at the end of the day, I also try to take the position of, you know, like none of this really matters. Like yep. at the end of the day, really like, is anybody going to remember this transaction or, or even like, you remember me 50 years after I'm dead? Probably not. Like it doesn't really matter. Like none of this, none of this, it, it, it's just an illusion, you know? So like, that helps me also realize like, dude, why are you taking yourself so seriously? You know, right. like, so I, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and stress for sure. But I think in the great, you know, it's, it's about context. Right. Right. Beautiful. Well said. Um, let's touch base and, and talk a little bit about here. Um, 2020 crazy year. Yeah. Oof. So, and I'm sure the clientele that you work with probably ask all the questions, how's the market, um, buy side, sell side, wherever. 2021, it's impossible to anybody knows, I, for sure, I get it. But what are you telling your client on the sell, on the buy, on the rent side? And I guess on the invest side, what are you telling your clients in the different parts coming from your um, position and authority in real estate what are you telling them advising them to do or not do or look out for well you know what's interesting on that question usually i'm the contrarian i'm the guy who's been waiting for things to tank for two years you know yeah and it hasn't happened and yeah. uh and now i actually don't think it's going to happen i think you know i think we're going to ride this thing through i think you know markets business people like certainty yeah what we've seen irrespective of political leanings, what we've seen with the current administration, you know, with Trump is uncertainty. You don't know what you're going to get, like right. literally from one day or one week to the next. Right. So it's hard for businesses to make investments. And this is what I'm hearing from, you know, wealthy clients of mine who are running businesses and who are making these decisions is, you know, no, now at least we know what we're going to get with, with Biden and, and his team coming in. We're, so now you will see business investment happen around the context of, of the environment that, that we're in. And I think, you know, listen, I, I'm bullish long-term in terms of growth. We have more people. We have, we have just all these technologies from, you know, green energy to, to the tech, to biotech, to, you know, AI. I mean, all these things that are happening in our world and there's so much opportunity, so much growth. Um, so I think certain places are going to suffer though. I mean, I do think like, you know, out West it's drier. There's water scarcity over the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, sea level rise where I am in South Florida. So like, okay, where do you figure out where's the value are you making a, a midterm investment or decision? Are you making a long-term investment and decision? All right. So there's just so many factors, but I'm, I'm pretty bullish, at least on South Florida uh, into 2021. And I don't see this market abating. It's a strong seller's market. We're going to continue to see people moving here. 
you know, Texas, Tennessee, Florida are really benefiting. I mean, I've heard Vegas is as well, Nevada, a lot of these, you know, no state income tax states. And I'm just, shoot, I'm just lucky to be here, honestly. I mean, I'm yeah. lucky to be in South Florida riding, riding the wave. And uh, yeah, it's been my best year ever from a real estate perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For a lot of us, yeah. I mean, COVID, not COVID, whatever. I mean, we, yeah, we work hard and, and uh, you know, this has been a crazy year. Yeah. Um, good one. So advising your clients uh, in this current market, what if they're saying to you, yeah, but Lamar, everybody, you know, everything is looking so great. Everybody, these prices, everybody's getting everything. There's no houses on the market. There's no inventory. Uh, if I buy right now, am I overpaying? Well, I would tell somebody if you're buying right now, don't don't think you're going to sell it in two or three years because you, you don't know what's going to happen that far out. I think, you know, 2021, probably 2022 is going to, uh, you know, once people are mostly vaccinated by the middle of next year, ideally, hopefully, maybe Q2, Q3. Right. Um, so I think then 2022 is going to be another stellar year because things are really going to open back up then. So for the next couple of years, I, I, I do see an appreciating market. In, in places like Florida. And I think people are gonna come back to the cities also. So whereas New York City might be hurting right now, I mean, people yeah. have a short memory. If anything, we know about our culture is just, you know. Yeah, the news cycle really is quickly. we're out of it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I think we're gonna see a lot of rebound in areas that are suffering right now. I think places like South Florida will continue to, to benefit, uh, but it's gotta be a, at least a five year decision. I mean, if you're not ready to, to, to kind of ride this wave for the next five years, I think, you know, maybe you rent. Right, right. So you see, you see the reciprocal market from New York to Florida being even stronger for you guys because so much, so many has left. And yeah, people do have a short mindset, but from what I'm seeing for the way that the New York City market has been, from a political standpoint, how they treated the city, how it's kind of looking like this is evolving into a little bit and the amount of lease that has left New York City, business that has left New York City, resident that has left New York City, I know that that, you know, million to two million, two and a half million dollar price point is still okay because young residents are like, great, you don't want to live there, I'll buy it up. Yeah. But it's the rental market there that New York City is such a rental market heavy driven area that the rental market didn't do well with all the lease issues. So Florida must have just been like, come on down, you know, and is and my guess is probably along with you is that you're going to see that wave. And if you're not ready to invest in the ups or possible downs of what a V could look like, you might not want to make that decision to, to go by there right now. If you're a pro athlete right now and you're like, listen, I'm on a year to two year kind of thing. Are you saying it's, and they really found the property. They love it. They love the property, but it's kind of tighter on the budget, but they love it. Do they buy or do you say, yeah, you still within that, if you're, if you don't know if you're going to be here in a year or two, I don't know if I would, if I would buy you rent. How do you advise that? Yeah. It depends what kind of property. I mean, if it's a, if it's a more modest purchase that is in a good rental market and can, can become part of the rental portfolio, if that's what they want to do, then that's a consideration. Uh, certainly luxury properties are harder to move. I mean, right now it's crazy because we've gone from many luxury markets in South Florida that are at a three year supply yeah. down within one year with, within less than a year down to like a four to five month supply yep. with, with prices appreciating. It's just, I've never seen anything like it and I've been doing mm -hmm. this for five years. So it's a crazy, it's a crazy thing, but generally, yeah, I would advise an athlete certainly uh, always to live below the means and, and really spend most of the time. I mean, listen, if you have a hundred million dollar contract, you can pretty much buy whatever you want as right. long as you're being responsible with, with the rest of it. But, you know, for, for the, for the typical athlete, especially like NFL player, um, that, that sort of thing, you know, they really shouldn't be 
going big anyway, even if they have a huge contract, because it's not guaranteed. So, so every situation is different, but I've had situations where I've advised clients, you know, athletes to, who are going to rent maybe for three or four years before they then build or buy their dream house. You know, Hey, why don't you buy this house in this neighborhood? This thing is not, you know, you're going to spend a hundred thousand a year for the next four years renting the kind of house you want. Right. Well, for like 800,000 bucks, you can buy a pretty nice house that you're happy with. This house is not going to go to $400,000. I don't care how bad the market gets. There's no way this house is going to go to $400,000. It's safe. Um, and so, you know, even if it has a really bad outcome, you know, maybe you drop a couple hundred thousand, but you're not out 400,000. So in some cases, it actually makes sense for them to buy. And, and that kind of house would, would trade because it's the lower priced house within a very nice neighborhood up to like $2 million. I'm thinking of one specific example. Right. Uh, and the financial advisor said, yeah, this makes sense. Actually, this is a, a much better financial situation than renting. So it's not always that somebody should rent either. Right, right. So if, if, uh, if a client is, what, do you, what would you say when, when clients work with you? What would you say their biggest expectation of you is? Just that I'll shoot them straight. That I'll tell them the way it is, you know, and advise them. And I think I'm a pretty good negotiator and I think I'm pretty good at finding off markets because of relationships and, you know, pretty good at all these things. But I think the biggest thing is that. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the opposite side, what do you, what would you tell everyone? When you work with me, you get this, this is my, what, but my highest level is this, this is the best thing that I bring to the table. I think it's a, it's a, it's a skill set. It's a, it's a personality also. It's, you know, do you feel good? You feel energized when you're dealing with somebody or do they deflate you? Right. Uh, do they return your phone call? I mean, some of it's just like basic real estate one-on-one, right. One, right? I mean, so if we can get that stuff right, we'll do, we'll be doing okay. Right. Right. But then at a, at a, at a higher level, yeah, it's what kind of, I want to always be seen as an advisor. Uh, I don't want to be the guy who's just, yeah, this house sold for that and that house sold for that. So therefore this house, no, I want to have it on in writing. I want there to be an analysis. I want there to be, uh, effort put forth. And, and I think the clients understand when you care about your craft, when you do things with grace, you know, I, I know we both have small kids. So I tell my kids every day, do it with grace. You know, you may not want to have to do this right now, but if you're going to wash the dishes, well, you know what? Scrape the peanut butter off the plate before you stick it in the dishwasher. You know, like little things don't again, going back to resistance, don't resist it. Do it with grace, do a good job. It comes through. People understand, they see it. You don't have to, you don't have to tell them. How old are your kids again? Sometimes they don't appreciate it, but uh, <laughs> two and five. So I got three and five. And I think the five-year-old, if I said, do it with grace, he would say, you're right, dad. I would do it. I think if I told my three-year-old, do it with grace, he'd kick me in the knee, probably. Really hard. Yeah, yeah two, two's, uh, two and three is probably two three, yeah. difficult. They, yeah. they kind of, but they'll surprise <laughs> me. They'll say stuff sometimes. I'm like, wow, I, she's, she's really, my daughter is too. She'll, set, she'll repeat stuff um, yeah. like that. She may yeah. not understand what it means. My five-year-old, he knows he knows more or less what it means because we've, we've had enough that's good discussions about it, you know, where right. he, he kind of gets it, but yeah, just trying to drill that in. But it's like, we're just big kids at the end of the day. You know, we just yeah. have to live for, or, or uh, telling our kids to live by as well. We have to be consistent. Yeah. Dude, I, I have to say, um, you know, coming to this company, uh, knowing you were in this position, knowing this is my niche and the, the path that I enjoy and that I, I love and that I want to grow within um, and getting this opportunity to actually, this is the first time we've ever spoke uh, and to do this. And I'm, I'm hoping we have many more conversations. I want to just say that um, how uh, lucky I am to be able to get to talk with you, work with you and how much knowledge you have and just how much of a down to earth 
really cool person you are to speak to. <laughs> well, thank you. No, likewise. Likewise. I agree. With in this you. business, it's not always the deal, you know? Yeah. So well, that's, that's the other thing too, is, you know, um, our egos, putting our egos in, in transactions never works. I mean, no. It just never works. So one thing I learned early on is, you know, it's okay to have an ego, but, but like, understand that's, that's, you know, when it's rears its ugly head, like it's just not good. Yeah. And, and so I think a lot of the other stuff that I try to do, like I mentioned earlier, you know, like the whole morning routine kind of thing, like helps me realize, Hey, like, why am I taking, why am I taking myself so seriously? So as to stress myself out. Right. About this. Not to say that I don't get stressed out. I do, but, but just like that self-talk is kind of the self-talk that I bring. And it's like, Hey, you know what? I mean, one of the best things I, I've got, I've got a deal that I'm working on right now where some realtors at a different company want me to co-list a property with them. I have a, another realtor at another company that's asked me to co-list a property with him that I have listed right now. Right. And it's like, I didn't even think that would be a deal flow for me, but just by being a nice person and having good ethics and treating people with respect. And it's like, man, like it's not rocket science, you know, right. but unfortunately in, in our business, we, we see a lot of the realtors let their ego and let their attitudes and let their stress, you know, and, and how, you know, crazy life is get to them. Right. And take it on everybody else. Right. Absolutely. Including their clients. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last question I have for you. And I, I could, I could, man, I really wish I could do like a three hour podcast. We could do like a Joe Rogan marathon podcast with you. <laughs> Got all the formalities out of the way. And I just want to like talk to you. Um, you're, if it's a new agent out there watching and uh, they want to get into the niche world of uh, sports and entertainment, high end real estate, and they're just getting started. And they don't, you know, where would you, where would you advise them to, to start if they want to really work in that market? You know, it isn't any one thing, Michael. I think it's, I think it's really uh, like figuring out what it is that you want to do. Because if you, if you want to work in sports entertainment or equestrian or, you know, mid-century modern, whatever, whatever the niche is, like just really get to know it, understand it from the perspective of the people that you're trying to serve. Because if you're, if you assume you know what people need or what that niche needs, you may get it all wrong, but it's really, it's like humble yourself and try to really understand, try to be like a servant to these people, to this, to this client uh, group that you're trying to serve. Cause then, then it'll come through. Yeah. It's going to take a long time. It's not, this is no, there's no easy way to do it. I mean, if there is, let me know, but it's, yeah, it's cold calling. It takes some of the stuff that takes guts, but, but if you're going to cold call, then like, when you get the opportunity, be damn good about it and, and be responsive and don't, don't coast. Like the thing is with this business, it's, you know, you got to sustain it for the long term because we all reach burnout. I've had it many times in, in my career and it's always when I'm just not keeping my eye on the ball and I'm trying to do too many things and right. uh, things just build, build, build. And I don't catch it soon enough. And then I'm like, man, this sucks. Right. But it is, it is a beautiful business. And I think you got to do it in a way that, 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 works for you because if you're doing something like there's real estate coaches that say, Oh, you know, you got to be doing what you don't want to do when no one else is doing it. But you know, like, I don't vibe with that. You know, I do business. It's already stressful enough. So do business in a way that, that works for you. Like I don't like to buy leads on Zillow. I mean, I, I, I don't want to get calls from people I don't know uh, like that. You know, I don't want to uh, do so many other things. Like I like building relationships with people. And so I've gone deep into that. And by going deep into that, that means I have to read a lot. That means I have to listen to podcasts. It means but I don't have to. I like it. I want to be interesting. I want to, I want to be able to talk with anybody about anything and, and learn from people. And I think that's like the beautiful thing. So that's just, that's just me. 
So I would just say, be creative, be authentic to yourself, do it in a way that you, that you feel inspired to do it. You don't have to do a million things. You can go very deep into one or two ways of doing it. Give yourself some patience, give yourself some time, some self-love and, uh, and, and be creative about it. And I think that's, that's like the, the secret sauce. Yeah. So one of the biggest uh, leaders of lifestyle, uh, Ben Moss, any book recommendations for us professionals or any professional out there that we're going to have on or listening? I just, I mean, yeah, I've read, I've read a, a bunch of books this year. I, I just finished one that's really like amazing. Um, it's called The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck. Okay. And uh, The Road Less Traveled, I think is a famous poem, but this book is The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck, who's a psychiatrist and really uh, nothing to do with real estate. So if you're looking for a real estate book, then that's definitely not it. But again, it has everything okay. to do with real estate. You know, yeah. like that's the whole, that's the whole the whole nuance here is like every book you read involves your life because real estate is our lifestyle as realtors. Like it, right. we can't separate it as we know. If we try, then we're resisting, you know, and then it's like, I'm not saying don't have boundaries. You got to have some boundaries for family time and kids and phone and all that stuff. But, right. but it's a lifestyle, like embrace it, you know? So yeah, yeah the real estate traveled. I'm, I'm, I'm doing an audio book right now on one. Um, it's called breathe by James Nestor. Mm. I mentioned that I do do some breath stuff. Um, and so I'm really trying to learn a lot more about that. I'm taking a course on breath work. Yeah. From, uh, like an Indian uh, yogi master. I'm really trying to figure out more of that kind of stuff. Cause it's uh, like Dr. Weil who uh, well-known um, doctor in Arizona. And he, he was interviewed once years ago. And I remember reading and he said, you know, if they said if you could say one thing for overall health to people, what would it be? And he said, learn how to breathe. And that always struck me. I was like, damn, learn how to breathe. What the hell does that even mean? You know? And so over the years I've been trying to like learn more and more about that. So yeah. I think it's, um, it's this free thing that we don't have to pay money for that, yeah. uh, that we can control and manipulate. And, and there's a lot of health benefits to it. So especially reducing stress. I think in, in the field we work in, with the clientele we work in, I think you've, you've had so much success over such a long period of time and continue to and go forward and you will continue. You've adapted so many of these great techniques to be able to, help you deal with some of the stuff that you can't control. And by dealing with them, you make yourself so much better. Um, so what I want to just do here is cause we're running out of time. Is there any question that I didn't ask you or anything that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? Not that I can think of. Okay. So where Ben Moss, the man, the myth, the legend, where can people find you get a hold of you? Um, I'm not the best on social media. So I mentioned earlier, that's uh, you got to do what you love to do. So that's okay. Uh, I'm not as good as, as I am on that, but I'm on Instagram and Facebook and um, you know, email, cell phone. I mean, my website is benmossgroup.com. So that's the easiest way. So we'll do is in the description, we'll put some other contact information for you to reach on the other social media sites. But if they really yeah. want to find out a little bit more about you, get a hold of you, all your information is on benmossgroup.com. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Moss, benmossgroup.com. Check them out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Uh -huh.